life, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time and plenty of time God's come up to, you know, has touched my heart and, you know, give a word to this person, do that. And go back, go back. And I haven't done it because I thought, well, what is the person going to think? You know, I'm not quite sure whether that's what I should say. And a few times, three or four times, I've walked past a person and someone else is saying exactly what I should have said to them. It does happen. You know, if, if God's going God's to call you to do something, say something, pray for someone. The other day, our next door neighbor is an elderly Irish lady. And um, she's a great woman. Um, and her husband are great. And they still, you know, survive in, you know, in their house. And it's fabulous. But she got shingles a few days ago. And she's 80 years old. And everyone's concerned for her. And I just walked past and I said, bless you and heal you in the name of Jesus. And kept walking. The next day she felt better. The next day she went to the doctor. The doctor says, you don't have it anymore. But that's just how good God is. It's nothing to do with us. It's how good God is. You know, I could have, uh, you know, made myself feel proud and, you know, boast myself up and gone over and laid hands on and prayed for 20 minutes and walked away. And probably nothing would have happened. But just that instant, God instant, just that God instant and something happened. But that's not what we're going to talk about this morning. So, Crystal, thank you. And I hope that uh, it... To me, it weaves into what I'm going to say, and you can see those up there, so that sort of gives it away. What I want to talk about this morning, I love the Olympic Games. Ten days to go, apparently. I'm not quite sure, but I think there's ten days to go. I love the Olympic Games. On Wednesday in the city, there was a luncheon for all the Western Australian athletes, and they sent them all off and said, good luck. And people are nervous. People that have done it a few times are happy and smiling, but the, the ones, I've seen some pictures of the people in the, in the luncheon. And the ones that have never been before, the younger ones, you can see they're nervous. They're not quite sure. But the old hands, they're just smiling and clapping and slapping each other's back, and it's all, all great. But Olympic Games are a wonderful time. And the thing I like most about the Olympics is the opening ceremony. I enjoy watching it. You see each of the countries go through. You know, you cheer for Australia. We cheer for Finland as well. Finnish team is a little bit smaller, but we cheer for them anyway. And as each country goes in and they carry their flag... And the people that have uh, been successful in sports get to carry that flag. It's a wonderful time and it's a celebration. And I really enjoy that. I, I'm amazed um, just how happy it makes the athletes. You talk to any athlete that's been to an Olympic game, they will all say that the opening ceremony was a highlight because it brings the people together. But more importantly than that, it allows them to be ambassadors for their nation. None of those people will ever probably be an ambassador. They will never go to the Hague. They'll never go to another country and sit there in an ambassador's suite and, you know, represent Australia. But here, for one glimpse, short moment, for a couple of weeks during the, a four-year period, they can go and they can be ambassadors for Australia. Well, we're called to be ambassadors for Christ. We truly are. That's our calling. That's our destiny. That's what God wants us to do. He doesn't want us just to be people that go... I'm a Christian. He wants us to walk along with a flag, to walk into a massive stadium and declare, I am a son of the king. That's what God's desire is, that we would be seen as the people of God. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. And we're just going to read a very short passage of Scripture. Because what I hope to do today is encourage you encourage you that you've got to run a race. And no matter how tired you get, 
no matter how hard it is to endure, that's what we're all called to do, to run a race for Jesus. Chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What a fabulous passage of Scripture. What a fabulous passage of scripture. We are all athletes. You know, only the elite of the elite athletes get to go to London this year. I like to watch sports. I especially like to watch rugby league. Now, who was that? This gentleman and me are going to play a game of rugby league. (laughs) At some point, when my knee gets better, and I'm going to tackle him and... (laughs) <laughs> no, no, seriously. <laughs> That's okay. But they're athlete athletes. Some aren't. There's a, there's a team in the rugby league called Manly Moringa. And uh, they've got this guy, and the guy plays, you know, the latter half of the game. When everyone else is tired, he runs on because they're all exhausted. He's got a belly. And it wobbles as he runs. It does. He ran on and he played my team and my team are winning. And I'm sitting there, yes, we're going to win, we're going to win. There's a, there's a grudge between my team and Manly. We don't like each other. And I'm sitting there going, we're going to win, we're going to win. We're, we're two tries ahead. This is going to be easy. Gorgeous George wobbles out. And that's what they call him, Gorgeous George. I don't see it, but that's what they call him. So Gorgeous George wobbles out. They get close to our line and he just runs past everyone and scores a try. We're a few points ahead now. They kick off. We drop the ball. They grab the ball. They give it back to Gorgeous George. He runs over again. And we lose. I couldn't believe it. He's not an elite athlete. He's an athlete that will work for 10 minutes of every game and have an impact. But the people that go to the Olympics are elite athletes. What we're supposed to be is elite spiritual children of God. We're supposed to be able to run our race. We're supposed to be able to endure, even dare to endure. We're supposed to be able to look fear in the face and keep going. The marathon is a great race. When I was young, I used to do a lot of uh, track and field. And then I got roped into a marathon. And I thought, this is going to be easy. I'm just going to take off like a rocket. There's no way they're going to catch me. So I did. That was a mistake. (laughs) I took off like a rocket, ran as fast as I could for a while, and then just got into a nice rhythm and jog. About 300 metres from the line, I'm ahead. I'm thinking, I've got this. This is easy. And I'm running along, and then all of a sudden I hear this coming behind me. And I think, okay, I better step it up. And I go, legs, go. And legs go, no. I ain't going nowhere. I'm going to slow down, in fact. I still came in third, but I learned a valuable lesson that day. You've got to step into it. You can't rush into it. You've got to step into it. But what God's called us to be is elite, elite spiritual athletes. He's called us to run a race. And that's what it says in Corinthians there. We are to run a race. Paul also challenges us in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 27. Do you not know that in a race all runners run? 
but only one gets a prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that I may, um, after I preach to others, that I myself may not be disqualified from the prize. We are in this race, whether you want to be or not, whether you think you're an athlete or not, you are in a race. And what we're called to do in that race is to endure, to keep going, to not let the things of the world slow us down. It's so easy to take on weight that slows you down. Gorgeous George is good for 10 minutes. But what we need to be is good for the rest of our lives. So what we need to do is we need to prepare ourselves for what God has us to do. God has a plan, a destiny, a call for each and every one of you. I guarantee it. I think I said at the men's breakfast yesterday, if he doesn't, you would not be here. You'd already be in heaven. He'd go, okay, your job's done, come home. But the reality, the stark reality is that as you sit here this morning, God has something for you to do. No matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, no matter how past it you think you might be, no matter how inadequate you think you might be, God has called you by name. When you were in your mother's womb, he formed you and shaped you for what he would have you to do. That God has a plan for you. He has called you here this morning. It's no accident you're here. It's no accident that I'm here. You know, I don't believe in accidents. I believe in God. God has brought you here this morning. God has something for you to do today and in the future. All we need to do is find out what he wants us to do. When I was, like I said, when I was young, I played a lot of sports. I did play rugby union. I played rugby league. I done track and field. I done marathon running and stuff like that, cross country, all those things, done archery, enjoyed them all. But I found that I became particularly good at rugby league. So what I used to do is I used to train four days a week, play rugby league on a Sunday, play rugby union on a Saturday. And it was a great I had the time of my life. It was fabulous. But at one point in my life, I had to get to the point where, okay, I'm getting weird, worn out here. All I do is run. All I do is exercise. So that what I'll do is I'll concentrate on rugby league. So I got the rugby union, screwed up in the ball and chucked it to the side. Sorry, brother. <laughs> and I decided that's what I want to do. And I had a great time and lots of fun. But what we need to do as Christians is we need to understand what God's call is on our lives. That's what we need to do. And then what we need to do is run. Run as hard and as fast as we can. Enduring everything that we need to endure to achieve what God wants us to achieve. If we look at this verse again, the first thing it says is, Therefore, since we are created, are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, there's a very interesting statistics in the Olympic Games. And it should come up here right now. That's the Australian team in the Olympic Games since 1896. Every Olympic Games they've been in. Interestingly enough, 2000, when the Games were at Sydney, they won 58 medals, the highest ever. And that's what tends to happen. The countries that host the Olympic Games seem to all of a sudden grow extra legs. They seem to be able to win more games at their home game than any other game. Now, the Russians did it by sneaky tactics. In the Russian Olympic Games, the javelin usually went this way across the, across the field. 
But what the Russians did was they put it this way across the field. And every time a Russian javelin thrower went in, they opened the doors at both ends. And the wind went through. That's true. That's what they did. Yep. And every time the Russians weren't throwing the javelins, the doors were shut. They, they honestly did that. They had lots of little sneaky techniques. But there is one thing you can't deny, that there's a home ground advantage. You know, you hear it in sports all the time. This team has a home ground advantage. They don't lose often in this place. There's a massive stadium. I think we've got the next picture. That massive stadium is in Penongyang, North Korea. Not Penongpang, but Penongyang in North Korea. That stadium holds 150,000 people. The new stadium they're going to build in Perth is going to hold 60,000. That stadium holds 150,000 people. That's a massive stadium. That's beyond what anyone can imagine. It's the biggest stadium in the world. Now, the soccer team that plays there have never lost there. (laughs) And it's simply because you've got 150,000 people going, yes, go, go, go. As Christians, we've got the same thing. Wherever we go, whatever we do, we have a home ground advantage. Because we've got a great cloud of witnesses that yell, go, go, go. They support us. They yell for us. They cheer for us. The only thing is sometimes we don't hear. So Paul, very kindly for us, wrote it down here. If you look at the first word, it says, therefore, since we're surrounded. Now, I love the word therefore in the Bible because that always means look back. Have a look what he's saying. He's saying, because of all this that I've said before. Now, let's just turn back. 11.1. Now by faith. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice. And it goes on and it talks about all these great men of faith. They are how crowd. They're our home advantage. They're the people that are calling for us to achieve. And that call echoes throughout history. What can we do to live up to that expectation? What can you do as a man or woman of God to live up to the expectation of the home crowd? Yelling out, go, go, go. Because that's what this verse of Scripture is telling us. We are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. We need to run our race with endurance. We need to run it so that we win. That's what this passage of Scripture is saying. You know, 150,000 people is a lot of people. But if you think of every man or woman of God throughout history, it far outweighs that. It makes that look like a pimple. And every single Christian... Throughout time is echoing to us, go, go, go. Change the world for Jesus. Don't be satisfied with anything else less. Be the man or the woman of God that God's called you to be. Don't be satisfied. Don't be mediocre. Give it everything you've got. Change the world. That's what we're meant to do. Both in this city of Armadale and beyond. God wants us to change the world. We're to run a race. We're to be elite athletes. We're to be the people of God that change the world 
through God's empowerment, through his calling, through his promises, through his Holy Spirit. That's what we're called to do. So let's go back to our passage of Scripture. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a greater cloud of witnesses. What a passage of Scripture. Let me just read the last two verses of chapter 11. It says this, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. The people of God before Jesus came envy us. They wish they had what we have. We have God living in us. We have the Holy Spirit Spirit empowering us. And if they are for us, who can stand against us? We are running a race for Jesus. And if we have the very choruses of heaven cheering us on, if we have the power of the Holy Ghost living in us, if we have God within us, then how can we not win? The only way you lose is by giving up. The only way you don't achieve what God has called you to do is to pull the pin. It's to say it's too hard, I don't want to do it. That's why this passage of Scripture was written. Endure, run the race. Keep going, don't stop. It's not over yet. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are. Keep going. That's what God wants us to do. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to run the race that he's marked out for us. He wants us to run it like we've never run before. He wants us to run it like we've never run before. He wants us to be able to stand in the halls of heaven one day. And he wants to come up to each and every one of you. He wants to put his arms around you. And he wants to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I've given you this to do and you've done it. What a reward that will be. What a moment in history that will be. And it's there for each and every one of us. Each and every one of us. All we need to do is run the race. Running hurts the body. I don't know if anyone's noticed that. Especially long distance running. Towards the end you get a little bit delirious. Sometimes running how race, it hurts a bit. Sometimes people say things. Sometimes people react to things. And things that we meant for good, some people take as bad. But that shouldn't stop us. That shouldn't stop us because that's common to all of us. Every athlete throughout history has suffered. Jesus suffered. All we need to do is run. Run the race that he's called us to run. And there's this massive cloud of witnesses that are behind us every step of the way, cheering us on. The next thing we read in our passage is, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I used to do this discus thing. You'd have to stand there and twist around and throw the thing. I used to do shot put, I used to do javelin. A lot of fun. No, that's not me. Definitely not. I got better hair. There's nothing that's so exciting, believe you me, there's nothing so exciting when you get that thing and it goes where it's meant to go. And you, and you do your turn and you do your spin and you go, and off it goes. And if you get between those two lines where you're out and it goes a long way, it's great. 
It's a fabulous feeling. Now, what it says in this passage of Scripture says that we're supposed to throw off what hinders. Now, for, the, for an athlete, weight hinders. You can't really, unless you're gorgeous, George, you can't really do a lot if you're fat. So that hinders. They're not talking about sin. It's talking about things that hinder. Things that you really are not, you know, going to produce anything in your life. It clearly says here that we're to throw them off. There's plenty of things in our lives that hinder us on the walk of God. And I bet right now a couple of you are thinking, yeah, that hinders me. That makes it a little bit harder to be the person I'm meant to be. There's plenty of things that aren't sin that hinder. And Paul's telling us we should throw those things off. All the things that hinder. All the things that stop you doing what God's called you to do. There's a guy called Saul in the Bible. He was chosen by God to be king of Israel. And he was a little bit successful. He managed to bring the tribes together. And for a while it was good. But then the Philistines rose up. And he had fear in his heart. And he used to hide in his tent. Now fear is not necessarily a sin. But it does hinder us in what God calls us to do. Crystal today didn't show any fear. God asked her to do something, she done it. Things that hinder us can be so small yet have such a huge effect. So Saul's hiding his tent. David comes along, little boy. I'm up here. This is about the size of Goliath, roughly. A little 12-year-old kid comes up, gets a slingshot and kills him. Then he, sorry for anyone that's squeamish, then he walks over, gets the big giant sword, holds the hair, cut the heads off, chucks it over his shoulder and walks back. gross all of a sudden david's on the map all of a sudden the people start looking to david not to saul there's a song they sing at one point saul has has killed his thousands david has killed his tens of thousands and saul hears that and all of a sudden something that hindered him hinders him rises up his insecurity it rises up to the surface Sometimes I feel insecure, no doubt about it. I think we probably, if we're truthful, we all feel insecure at times. But what we need to do is throw that off because being insecure is not going to help you reach the goal God has for you to reach. There's a whole lot of things that hinder. Eventually, that um, insecurity turns to jealousy. David becomes bitterly jealous. Sorry, Saul becomes bitterly jealous against David. And David takes one of his daughters to be his wife. And then David calls him to come and sing on a harp. And Saul calls David to come and sing on a harp. And as he's doing it, Saul picks up a spear and throws it at him. And you can hear, almost hear that twang as it sticks in the wall next to him. And it's sort of shaking a bit. And David looks up and goes, I'm out of here. And then Saul sets on this bloodthirsty hunt to kill David. So all of a sudden, this thing that was supposed to be thrown off turns itself into sin. And what happens with sin? 
it easily entangles. Let's go to the next slide. Bang! That's got to hurt. I used to do hurdles. Hardest thing in the world. I tell you, that's got to hurt. And you know what hurt King Saul? The fact that he let that stuff that he didn't throw off turn into sin. And it entangled him until in the end he lost everything. What we're called to do is to throw off the things that hinder. We're called to stay away from sin that so easily entangles. If we can do those two things, we can run our race better. If we can do those two things, we will be more effective for God. If we can do those two things, we will hear those words, good and faithful servant. You've done what I've asked you to do. I don't know about you. But that would be my desire. To throw off everything that gets in the way of what God wants me to do. Not to have sin entangle me. Because it's it's very sneaky sin. It's very, very sneaky. You know, Saul, when, when David first killed Goliath, Saul was proud of him. He put his he gave him everything, you know. You can have it all. Here you go, take it. And then a few verses later in um in um one Samuel, I think. Saul all of a sudden realizes the light bulb moment. Bing! I'm going to lose my kingdom. I've got to kill this guy. Otherwise, he's going to take it off me. Little did he know he was fighting God. Paul, uh, Saul was a, was a great man of God until he let that sin entangle him. Saul lost everything. That's what holding on to things can do. It can make us lose everything. You know, many years ago in the Victorian fires, and I don't know if I've told this story here before, but many years ago in the Victorian fires, um, I think it was Black Wednesday or Black Friday, whatever they called it, hundreds of houses got burnt to the ground. And after the fires were put out and they mopped it up a bit, they let all the people back in. And there's an old lady walking through her house, and it's in rubble. There's nothing left. It's just fallen to the ground. There's nothing there but a stack of, of rubbish. And you see this little old lady going through her things. And the only thing she found was this little old teapot, sooten thing. And she wipes it off. And she goes, this is all I've got left. This is all I've got left. She's crying. She's on the news. She's tears streaming down her face. This is all I've got left. She didn't have any insurance. She didn't have any money. She didn't have kids. Nothing. She was in a bad state. And she had tears streaming down her eyes. This is all I have left. I don't want to get to heaven because of things I've held on to or sin that I've allowed to creep into my life and have a teapot and go to God, this is all I've got left. I don't want to do that and neither should you. You should want to go to heaven, run the race that God has, has predestined for you to run. You should be able to walk into the very halls of heaven with your head held high, not because of anything you've done, but simply because you've lived the plan God's called you to live. You know, it's not what we achieve in life. It's what we do that matters. It doesn't matter what you achieve. You could be the biggest no one in the world. But if you've done what God's called you to do and reached the people God's called you to reach, you're going to get the biggest crown in heaven. The accolades of men mean nothing. The gratitude of God means everything. That's what we're aiming for. That's what we're, we're living for. It's a race that we're in. Our race 
is for the gratitude of God when he says, well done, good and faithful servant. He puts his arm around us. He pats us on his head. He puts a massive crown on our head. A crown that lasts forever, it said in 1, in 1 Corinthians. You know, it's not a laurel wreath. It's this crown that lays forever, that lasts forever. And you know what the Word of God says we do with that crown? It says that we love Jesus so much, we take it and we throw it at his feet and we glorify him forever. That's what we're called to. That's what our destiny is. That's what our call is. Are you ready for it? Because that's what God wants us to be ready for. God wants us to be ready for that moment when the crown is placed on our heads and we can take it off in gratitude to our king and throw it at his feet and say, Jesus, again, everything I have is yours. You are my God and my king and I love you. That is when we've run our race. That is when we've won the prize. And that is what this passage of scripture is talking about. That's what God wants from each and every one of us. He doesn't want you to become the greatest, most well-known. Go back one. Too early. I'm working towards it. Give me a chance. There must be, that's a hint, time's up maybe. I'm not sure. Keep going. That's what it's all about. I've known a lot of Christians since I've become a Christian. A lot. I've seen some men that I greatly respected fall away. And it breaks my heart to see people that used to inspire me live a life that's not honoring God. The challenge today for each and every one of you, for me, is to run the race. To run the race. To step in and be the people God's called us to be. The next thing we need to look at, according to the passage of Scripture in Hebrews, is that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. See that? That was, that was rehearsed. Not really. Thanks, Mike. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's a great picture. There's an old saying in sports. Be the ball. A few weeks ago, um, maybe a month or so ago, I went bowling with the guys from work. And I'm... Trust me, not very good at bowling. But I understand the principle pretty well. And we had a guy there who's uh, from Mauritius. He's a French guy. And um, he's, we, had, we played three games. The first game, he gutted ball to the, to the right, then he gutted ball to the left, then to the right, and then to the left, and then to the right. So the first five or six balls, and his head would go down, his shoulders would slump, and he'd walk back, and he'd sit down, and then he'd say, Xavier, you'll go again. And he goes, oh, okay. So I got alongside him. I said, Xavier, be the ball, son. That ball has to get that middle one on a bit of a spin and you'll take them all out. Now, I can't really do that very well. There's an old saying, if you can't do, teach. Isn't that true? I can't do it very well. I, mean, I got, I think the whole, well, ended up, ended up let, me tell, let, me, let me shortcut to the end and then we'll go back. He ended up winning at the end of the night and I came last. So I can teach better than I can do. If you can't teach, do. If you can't do, teach. Be the ball. Be the ball. And I kept saying to him every time I got up, for the first five or six goes, I'd say, Xavier, be the ball. That ball has to go there. You have to put your feet here. It has to go there and spin and go in, and then you're safe. And after about four ones, he got a strike. And then he got another one, and then he got another one. Six in a row. And everyone else says, Leonard, sit down. Be quiet. 
But mind you, these are construction workers, so they didn't say it in quite that manner. But I thought, I like this young man, and I'm going to help him along. So every time he got the ball, I sat down in my chair. I didn't get alongside him anymore. Xavier, be the ball. Middle pin, son. That's what you've got to do. He'd look at me. He'd nod. He'd steady himself. That's what he did. That's why I can't bowl because I don't, my legs don't move that well. He was young and flexible. He'd done quite well. What we have to do is fix our eyes on Jesus. One other thing I can't do very well is play golf. Now, the men, men are going playing golf next month. I will come last, I promise you. So if you, if you fear that you're going to come last and you don't want to come because of that, come along because I swear I will. Okay? But Mr. Busby knows this. I think you've got to stand a certain way. You've got to have your feet. You've got to crunch. You've got to hold the club a certain way. You've got to swing back. You've got to follow through. But you've got to keep your eye down there. It's no good. You've got to follow the ball. You've got to look at where it's going. Usually when I do my swing, I go like this. And then I go, and the ball goes two or three meters. And then I go, look, and pick it up and throw it as far as I can. (laughs) So far it's worked. But you get pretty tired by the the end of the first hole because you've thrown the thing 30 times. But what you do is you wait for them to get ahead and go, I'll catch up, I'll catch up. And then you kick it, poof. Whatever you've got to do to get there, you know. But what we're called to do in this passage of Scripture is to turn our eyes upon Jesus. There's a great old song that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. What a song. What great theology. What we need to do is to fix our eyes on Christ. He is the author and perfecter of our faith after all. That's what it says in the passage of Scripture in Hebrews. He wrote down what we've got to do. And he's the one that makes it better and better for us all the time. What we need to do is keep our eyes on Jesus. Don't turn to the left or turn to the right. Don't look at where I'm going to go in this ministry, what I'm going to achieve, how good I'm going to be. Who cares? Turn your eyes to Jesus. That's what matters. That's what matters. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Be the ball. The only way to succeed and run our race in life is with perseverance and our eyes fixed on Jesus. That may sound a little old-fashioned, possibly a little simple, but it's the only way that works. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. We have to do it. That's the only way we can achieve. 1 Corinthians 10.31 to 11.1 says this. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jew or Greek or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. I'm not seeking my own good, but the good, for, the good of many, so that they may be saved. Paul goes on and says this, follow my example as I followed the example of Christ. One version puts it like this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Why not just go straight to the source? Imitate Christ. He is our example. He is the one after all that saved us from our sins. Imitate Christ. Be an ambassador for him. 
You know, when, you, when you're an ambassador, you go and you've got diplomatic privilege. You, you've got all the privileges that you would have if the king or queen or president of that country was here. We've got so many privileges as children of God. So many privileges, it's, you can't name them all. They're as many as the sands on the sea. We are so blessed, but we are in a race. We can't forget that. So this morning I have a question for you. Are you running your race? It's a simple question. Only you know. Those things that God put on your hearts maybe years ago, maybe months ago, maybe days ago. Are you doing what God's called you to do? Or have all the things of life jumped up and hindered you? Have they stopped you doing what you know God's called you to do? What once excited you so much that every time you smiled, your face would hurt? Because you just smile so much because you knew you were in the will of God. You knew that God had this plan and purpose for you. Because God does have a plan and purpose for each and every one of you. He does. He always has. And he hasn't given up. You might think I've missed the boat. I can tell you, you haven't. God is the God of miracles. If God's plan for you when you turned 21 was for you to be a youth pastor, and you never did that, and then his plan for you when you were 33 is to go on and be a senior pastor of a church, and you never did that, it's not too late. He'll probably shortcut it a bit and not make you be a youth pastor because, let's face it, you won't like it. But you've learned plenty along the way anyway. You need to start living or at least running the race God has for you. You need to. That's the only way you'll ever kneel in front of God on the day of glory and raise your hands up on that field that you've run and worship Him. And that's what each and every one of us are called to do. Each and every one of us. Run the race that he set out for us. You might have missed God's timing, but you haven't missed the race. God's holding the start for you. He's waiting until you're ready. Today's the day that you can change it. Today's the day that you can say, I'm ready to run again. I want to do, Lord, what you've called me to do. I don't want to get caught up in all these things that, you know, complicate my life, work, family, and all those things. And I'm not saying that you don't have to do those things. But it's where our focus is that matters. That's why they said at the end of the passage, fix your eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith. Each and every one of us are in a race. I said at the beginning that, um, can a musician come up? I said at the beginning that the thing I like most about the Olympic Games is the opening ceremonies. And there's nothing quite like the scene of when they've all marched in and they're all standing there and they go through the process of um, lighting the torch and everything official's happened. And then there's just this massive party in the middle of the field. And all the athletes from every country are mingling together and they're all shaking hands and they're all, for one moment not competing for anything, but just being there with each other. This morning, I want to open up this part of the church here. 
And I want every single person that wants to run their race for Jesus to come up here. And I want this to be how little area of how games. And we all stand here together and we pray and say, Lord, I'm ready to run the race again. I'm ready to get back in the game. Or I'm ready to run like I've never run before. I'm here today, Lord, and I want to run. I know in the past I've, I've just jogged. Today, Lord, I want to run. I want to get to that goal, to that purpose that you have for me. I want to be able to achieve the call and the destiny that you put on my life. So if you all stand, they're going to play something, and I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you all to come up. If you want to run a race for Jesus... If you want to, at the end of your life, hear those words, good and faithful servant. If you want to run through that tape and bow your knees and throw your crown at the feet of Jesus, then I want you to come up and I want you to lift your hands and I want you to pray to God that he would strengthen you, empower you, give you a way forward. I ask that you would ask God to forgive you, whatever it takes. Pray. Pray like you've never prayed before. Because Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith. And this morning he's here. And he wants to touch your life.
just thank you for each and every person in this room, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the hunger that these people are showing, Lord. Lord, and I just pray for each and every single one of them, Lord. I pray that you will empower them through your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray, Lord, that the desires that you've put on their heart, Lord, will come to fruition. Lord, that they will be amazed at what you do, Lord. That they will look and they will say, this is the Lord. Hallelujah for that. Lord, I just pray for each and every one, Lord. I pray, Lord, that they would go, Lord, where you've destined them to be, Lord. Lord, mark out the territory, Lord. Let them take it by storm, Lord. Let the valiant men and women of God, Lord, rise up in this place, Lord. And let them be and achieve what you want them to do, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray an anointing upon them, a blessing upon them, Lord. Let them know beyond doubt this moment on, Lord, that they are walking, running according to your plan, your call, and your destiny, Lord. Lord, bless them. Bless them, Lord. Bless them, Lord, in your mighty name, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a clap. Hallelujah. Precious Jesus. Now everyone that's standing at the front, look at me. Today is a, is a watershed day. Today is a day that you've stood in front of the apostles of old. And you said, I'll put my hand up. I'm going to run a race. I'm not going to fap around anymore. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to run a race. I'm not going to let the things that hinder me, hinder me. I'm going to step away from that sin that so easily entangles. I'm going to run the race that you've set before me, Lord. I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to go. Today's the day. From now on in, there's going to be a double blessing on your life. I'm positive of that. You've stood in front of the people of God that changed the world and said, I want to do it too. So I thank you. I bless you in the name of Jesus. Every single one of you. May God's blessing be on your life from this day forward in a way you've never known. May He fulfill your desires. May He take those dreams that you're too scared to dream and make them a reality. Amen. God bless. Let's sing something fun. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate Jesus. Amen. Look, he's always got it there. Happy days. Bless you. Stay. Sing. Don't move. Let me come down and join you. Well, put your hands together.